March 24th, 1995 was a really boring and unremarkable night for Nelson McNair and his other teenage friends in Livingston. As a group of 18-year-olds in a small Montana town without any beer and running out of pot, their options were pretty limited. So they ended up driving out of town a little bit and whiled away the hours, shooting at bottles on a dirt road somewhere. After a while, Nelson drove them all home. Dropping his friends off along the way, he told them he'd be around in the morning to give them a ride to school. I'll see you tomorrow for jail, were his exact words. But Nelson never made it to pick up his friends the next day. And he wasn't seen by anyone for more than a month until a couple fishermen found his body washed up in the Yellowstone River. Welcome to Montana Murders, Notorious and Unsolved, a podcast from the Montana Mint. I'm John Hooks, and in this show, author Brian D'Ambrosio and I go back and re-examine some of the most mysterious and infamous murders in Montana's history. In the final episode of our first season, we're looking at the case of Nelson McNair, a rebellious but caring 90s grunge skater kid who was trying to find himself in a small Montana town that only ever saw him as a troublemaker. This is a really special and personal case for Brian, who has spent a large part of the last year talking to people all around Livingston, conducting his own investigation. And what he's found is a story about a small town's dark secrets and the cost of progress. A story about a marginalized kid washing up dead in the river, and a law enforcement response that was at best apathetic and at worst complicit. And a story that doesn't start or end with just one body washing up in the river. As I said, Brian has a really strong connection to this case and has been investigating and reporting on it and other unsolved deaths in Livingston for more than a year now. But his introduction to the case didn't start in Livingston, but in Kansas. I had just been, um, I had just been in Kansas for six months. Um, and over the last, uh, couple years, largely as some type of avoidance behavior. I've been driving around the country about three to four, maybe five months out of the year. And in the time of, you know, of being out, I've been exploring, you know, folk art sites and, Mm. you know, drinking coffee and having pie in some great shops along the way. But I've also been, you know, intensely and acutely interested in, in, in missing persons and, and, and unsolved crimes. And, I had been revisiting one that that struck me as quite interesting in Kansas um, at the end of 2018, and uh, by the time I'd 
got back to, to Montana, I had already spent about six months in Kansas working on a documentary, um, which I have no experience in, just <laughs> like podcasts. And uh, I'd, I'd spent about six months, you know, working on this, on this documentary. So it was really an, an intense period. I had found out in the process of, of, um, of paying people to, who were experts to come down and, and film and working on a narrative script and mm -hmm. being close to the, to, uh, presumably the people who were victimized by this tragic murder. I found out that, that they were thieves, liars, and killers themselves. So, <laughs> you know, and that is another story we could bracket for the Kansas edition. Yeah. But I will tell you that I was very, you know, very, you know, you know, disillusioned with it. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and it is an empty kind of hollow, hollow feeling at times. And I had gotten back with the, the, um, idea that I was going to, you know, get back into doing some music again, mm. and doing some freelance for the Missoulian and some other outlets and, uh, writing about sculptors and, and welders. And I had met, you know, um, Riley Neal, who's at the Montana press monthly and Riley and I subsequently have become friends. And, and in one of our conversations, she had mentioned the kid who the skateboard park is named after in Livingston. She had mentioned Nelson McNair. I told her where I'd been. She said, well, you know, if you wanted to pursue something like this for the Montana Press Monthly, um, I would welcome that. So Nelson's story that she had told me was that it just something that had not been pursued for various reasons. Like, and there's a, a, a miasma of fear in Livingston surrounding the death of Nelson McNair, the circumstances and the mystery surrounding his death. And there are others. I mean, I realized that there that Nelson wasn't the first and he wouldn't be the last to, yeah. to be found even in the river in almost the same identical spot. Yeah. So now you have the story being set up as it's posed by Riley is, is that Nelson is found in the river most people in the community have a hunch or a suspicion. Some might even know who was responsible, but the but the story has been has been denied. Mm -hmm. Nelson's been denied. The story has been buried. The story has been has been has been thwarted. The, the story has been you know cut off abruptly. So so we go back. Um, to that incident, that's where I learned about Nelson McNair is because there's a skateboard park yeah. in his honor in Livingston. And going back, jumping around from 2019 back into, we'll say, 1990, 1995 in Livingston. So, um, early 1990s especially nelson mcnair's world i mean it's uh you know grunge kids you know yeah running wild you know it's uh you know it's broken kids and listening to nirvana and um there's you know skateboarding and mohawks and that uh you know that that mindset of you know rebellion and defiance and sort of nonchalance so we're looking at Nelson's environment in particular, 
So we're going to find that uh, you know skateboarding is both you know it both fills a void and it creates sort of a chasm and it gives them a little bit of space and gives them some latitude and you know, it allows them to operate in the world like we all do. We try to find outlets, right? That where we feel safe and where we feel comfortable. But you know, yeah, Livingston Livingston is an interesting place. I mean, it's not different than mo than than many places. You know, it has a divide. I mean, there's a split. You know, there and you know, and, and it was stark um, from from what I've been told and from what I understand. It's um, you know, not just being like a, a skateboarder and a rebel and an outlaw sport. I mean, <laughs> um, I'm talking about you know being you know, a town that was you know very you know very binary. You know, mm. us versus them. Um, you know, good versus bad. We've got. Um, you know them and them and us. You know we've got um, railroaders and sawmill workers and blue collar workers. You know we've got you know you know dingy bars. You've got you know a, a, a all the underpinnings there of of a, of a society um, that is quite divided and quite mixed. So Nelson's going to come from a part of the society that could be considered sort of. Um, you know, marginalized. I mean, sure. mom's um, in poverty. You know, he's raised in poverty by a hardworking mother um, who is, um, the proverb goes, proverbially speaking, you know, always just did the best that, that she could. So sure. there's a story, you know, of limitation and, you know, determination. So we've got um, a side of town where Nelson comes from where it seems like he's a, he's extremely limited. But he's also very, very determined, which makes him so likable and sure. seems to make him so you know, charismatic. All right. And just an interesting character, you know, kind of striving with differing degrees of success and failure, you know, to try to create a room for himself and, you know, better himself and try to. You know, if nothing else, get out of Livingston. You know, right? You know, well, that's the interesting thing is that is that even though we, what I learned was that even we, we were generations, you know, have kind of come through, you know, and um, since Nelson would have been out there as a teenager in Livingston riding a skateboard, but people remember him, and mm. they only they they not only remember him in the form and and the function of the skateboard park, but they remember his kind of charming, you know, renegade kind of teenage charisma. And I've always said, you know, that charisma was just a fascinating word because it's hard to bring, you know, to life, you know, um, on the page. Sure. I think it's just one of those words that we've stripped of all meaning over the, you know, over the years. And we, we've, um, maybe we use it to apply to everything yeah. or everyone, but there are very few people who I'd, you know, define as, as, as char charismatic. Um, but certainly I think that that moniker would have applied, uh, to Nelson mm -hmm. and, um, but Nelson had it. And, uh, you know, according to, to friends and family and, and even law enforcement, someone, you know, most likely had purposefully eliminated it by taking his life, you know, more than 25 years ago. Like I said earlier, this story is really personal for Brian. 
But as I've been going through and putting this episode together, it's felt more and more personal for me too. I've been a teenager in Montana. And although my teen years in Helena were different and much later than Nelson's in Livingston, there's a lot in his story that feels really relatable to me. As a teen, you're growing out into yourself and you just want to leap out into the future of possibility and the world of adulthood. But you're constantly held back, usually for your own good, by parents and school, age, geography, whatever. But something in the space of not being treated like a child, but also not quite like an adult, can help create this feeling like everything in the world is designed against you and designed to hold you back. And I think that's a really universal experience of being a teenager, especially when you're stuck in a small town in Montana that you do anything to get out of, like Nelson was. But the deeper we get into this case, the more it starts to look like if Nelson was feeling that the whole world was against him, it might not have just been teenage angst. More and more, it looks like he had some real concrete reasons to think that that might have actually been kind of true. We'll get into that after a short break. Hey everyone, John back on here. Hope you're all really enjoying Montana Murders, Notorious and Unsolved, the podcast. Uh, We are a proud member of the burgeoning Montana Mint Podcast Network, which is a growing network of Montana-focused podcasts. Other shows on the network include the Montana Trivia Championship, which is a game show devoted entirely to our great treasure state they have the grizz fan podcast which is devoted to all things grizz football and we also have the montana mint sports pod that covers the cats the grizz all things big sky conference and everything in between you can find all of these shows on most major podcast apps including whichever one you're listening to this show right now and you can check out the montana mint on facebook instagram and twitter for more We're also brought to you by Morning Light Coffee in Great Falls. Operating since 1989, Morning Light is Montana's oldest family-owned coffee roaster, and they take pride in using responsibly sourced beans roasted daily on site, available for purchase online or in-store. You can stay basic this fall with a pumpkin spice latte or try their new Nitro Cold Brew with pumpkin cold foam. They have responsibly spaced outdoor seating and drive through available. Again, that is Morning Light Coffee Roasters on 1701 9th Avenue South in Great Falls. Check them out on Instagram at Morning Light Coffee Roasters, all one word. This episode is also brought to you by Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, Montana Properties in Missoula. If you're looking for a new home in Montana, contact Mike Nugent. Mike is a lifelong Montanan and will be an experienced partner to help you navigate these unprecedented markets. He can also help you find an agent anywhere in Montana. Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Montana Properties 
is Montana's leader in real estate, and nobody helps clients buy or sell more than they do. And you can put that experience to work for you. And remember, when it comes to real estate, the only bad question is a question you never asked. Welcome back. We're jumping back into this case in the winter and spring of 1995, where Nelson and his friends find themselves stuck in a town where they're viewed in opposition both to where Livingston has been and where it's going. So, you know, we'll go back. We're, you know, so we're in 1995, and, and like I said, we touched on a, a few minutes ago, Nelson's definitely a product of the days before Livingston was a, you know, a gentrified tourist town, you sure. know, it wasn't before it was, you know, quote unquote, an arts destination or before it was hip and before the, the Chamber of Commerce sunk their meat hooks into it for the, the newest branding campaign. I right. mean, it was, yeah. uh, it was a rough place. So I'm going to take you, we'll go to a rough railroad sawmill mining town. I mean, it's, um, try to picture it without the, um, you know the Americano shops and all the kind of the fancy restaurants. I mean, they're part of the story and 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 they have a place and a position, but there's that that fringes, you know, the so-called kind of outskirts of people mm-hmm. on on the margin. So um, so Nelson would have been just living in in a you know a poor poorer landscape. You know, he's a likable kid. You know, he's living with a a single mom, and in many ways, you know, he lacks the advantages of of you know of guidance and 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 direction, but. You know, he's not a kid that's any different than most kids. You know, at the end of school comes, he's out fishing in the lagoon and and swimming and reeling in some trout. Or some summer, he's working a construction job or he's heading out going hiking. So um, he's got some likes that are that are uh, that are a little might be a little little different. You know, like classical music, a little bit of poetry. But he's you know he's always. You know, drawing. You know, he's always got sure. a notebook and he's sketching some things. And a lot of his drawings have uh, are extant. Like you know, they can you know the people had friends had taken photos of them and mm-hmm. and they they still share them. So we've got you know the the typical sort of rites of passage. You know, we got the, the shenanigans in the classroom, the ex experimentation with pushing boundaries. We've got you know alcohol consumption and and the more frequent you know joint. Sure. So, so at this point, though, I mean, you know, Nelson um, is at a point where um, he is, you know, he's kind of on a fruitless kind of, you know, quest for, you know, for his uh, his identity, you know, mm-hmm. you know, like like most, it's like we all know, are at eighteen, like most, yeah, like <laughs> most teenagers are, yeah, you know, and. You know, he had been had a couple some problems early on when he was at Park High, uh, at Park High School. Um, got picked up with some, you know, a couple baggies of marijuana. Um, had a third that was kind of laying around. So, so Nelson may you know got got branded um, as maybe um, what you would consider a, a troublemaker, which mm-hmm. took him back to a group of friends who he could depend on who he bonded with who Some more was loyal other to troublemakers who were loyal to him who they could find a little camaraderie and, and raise in a little hell i mean and identifying with you know nirvana and and, and skateboarding mm-hmm. uh, so he's got a whole bunch of friends who are kind of on the same socio you know economic sort of you know stratosphere i guess you could you could say and um and it causes problems it causes problems with the Livingston Police Department, who seem to 
seem to be at war uh, with skateboarders. I mean, I hate that that terminology sounds, you know, to use such a bellicose description, war. Everything's the war. I mean, you know, George Carlin said, you know, we got the war on this, the war on that, war on this. We don't do anything about it. We just declare war on it. (laughs) So, uh, you know, but calling it a war, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in many ways, it was just a war of, 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 of misunderstanding, you know, and just a war uh, um, uh, of, of, a, of a wide, you know, bridge. It just couldn't, you know, be, could not be connected. And, 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 and it's a tragedy because the, you know, the, the kids don't need, kids like Nelson don't need more pressure, you know, and, 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 and more stress. They don't need to be punished, you know, for and, and they don't need to to be made to feel like criminals. They need a place, you know. Everybody mm-hmm. needs a sense of place. Sure. Everybody needs a uh, a place where they feel comfortable, a place where they can nurture their own identity. Everyone needs some latitude in kind of developing their own idiosyncrasies and and likes and peculiarities and dislikes, etc. So, um, but no, but Nelson doesn't really get that. He just gets a lot of. Um, police on uh, with a target on his back you know i mean he's got uh couldn't ride in the streets can't ride in the parking lots you know wherever he goes you know it, it seems like according to to friends who uh, were with him at the time that the cops would you know push him out um so essentially they made him a criminal brian has spent a lot of time connecting with some of nelson's friends from his years in livingston And one thing they all talk about is how much they were harassed and intimidated by law enforcement at the time. In the 90s, Livingston was beginning its transition from, as Brian put it, a tough sawmill mining town into a tourist-driven fly-fishing getaway. And the police seemed to think that grunge skateboard kids didn't belong anywhere in that transition. Brian's heard a lot from Nelson's friends about the ways cops in town would destroy their ramps and chase them away from wherever they were skating. There are even stories of cops busting up skateboards and throwing them into the Yellowstone River. And even one story of an officer opening the door of his cruiser to knock a passing skater off his board. This is something that really fascinates me, is that uh, all of these kids then... They've all turned out to be good people, mm. and 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 I there's something about that. I I don't know if if, if this thing whole this thing really resonates because Nelson and I are generally about the same age, mm. um, and so are all Nelson's buddies. But you know, talking to them and meeting up with them, and and you know, there's uh, they're all good kids. I mean, they're all good people. I mean, they all some of them are in Missoula, some of them are in Seattle, some of them are up north and up in Alaska, but they've all turned into, you know, diligent, um, circumspect people at the time, you know, the right kids facing the same rites of passage, um, that we all face in any Mm. community. And, and, but they're met, you know, they're met with, um, with force, you know, they're met with, you know, they're met with, uh, violence. I mean, some of the friends recall being taunted by the police or, or even assaulted by the police, um, run off the road by the police, have their skateboard smashed right in front of them. 
um, continually and perpetually harassed, mm. you know, followed, uh, annoyed, pestered, badgered, and over and over and over and over again. I mean, it's a living hell. I mean, I, I think that any of Nelson's friends who talk about growing up in Livingston, mm. they describe it as hell, mm. you know, and, um, and that's what it seemed to be for kids like Nelson without many alt- alternatives, you know, without many uh, arrows in the quiver to pull from. I mean, I don't think Nelson expressed some frustration that he couldn't, you know, get a job. He couldn't, um, was going to ever be able to use whatever skills he had and, and, and bring them into the world and deliver them into the world. So, um, so there's, you know, in the spring of 1995, so, you know, he, you know, he's, you know, he's just frustrated. I mean, yeah. he's telling friends that maybe he'd gone too, too far down the wrong path. And, uh, and what that path was, it's still murky. We don't know if, um, if, if there was, uh, maybe he was, you know, you know, dealing, um, and at what level maybe he was dealing and what he was dealing. So we also have the question of, you know, what was he turning toward and what he was turning towards seemed like it could be quite bad. The image I have in my head of Nelson, where I picture him the most, is underneath an overpass in Livingston, where the highway goes over the river. It seems like it was his spot in town to go and get high and chill out, listen to some music and draw around in his sketchbook. He was a gifted illustrator. Some of his drawings have survived thanks to his friends and family. He was really good at these kind of trippy pen and ink drawings of like cubist faces and psychedelic cartoons. Looking at them now, it's clear that he was a remarkably creative person with a distinctive personal style. I like to think that this was the place Nelson could always go to be himself, where he could go form his identity and his understanding of himself without the labels that Livingston had imposed upon him. Because I think another defining sensation of being a teenager is wrestling with labels and identity. And as teens, many of us go to extremes to try and identify ourselves to others on our own terms. But it doesn't seem like Nelson ever really got that opportunity. His family and the people close to him always describe him as a complex and nuanced person with a wide set of interests that defy easy characterization. But to the authority figures he encountered in his young life, he was only ever a troublemaker. And you can wonder at what point he may have just accepted that label and even embraced it to some extent. But it seems pretty clear that that was a role that others had picked for him. And there was an incident a little more than a month before he disappeared that makes that all very clear. In February 1995, Park County Police conducted a full-blown drug bust during the school day at Park County High School. 
Students who were part of the bust say that police came to the school and rounded up 22 students, with uniformed officers leading them through packed hallways and classrooms full of their peers into one room where they were questioned for hours. Students who were questioned say that the officers never read them their rights, never presented any evidence, and questioned all of the students without the presence of their parents. Of the 22 students questioned, only four were ever charged with possession of paraphernalia. And it seems like only Nelson McNair was let out in handcuffs into a squad car in front of the whole school. Um, when you reminisce or recall any of this, it almost sounds outlandish. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, would you think that, 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 you know, a kid who's in Park High would, would, um, be the um the recipient of a full-blown sting operation at the school that has officers marching all the students into these closed interrogation rooms and they're looking for a marijuana and they're looking for he's found to be in possession of a marijuana pipe yeah not even any marijuana not even yeah i mean not 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 a copious amount of marijuana or not a great quantity of marijuana he's he's found to be in possession of a marijuana pipe and I'm not saying that the marijuana pipe had any place um, at school. And what I'm saying is that it looks like they hopped all over this kid with some draconian measures. He he, he picked up a five hundred. I'm sorry, four hundred twenty dollar fine. Mm-hmm. Ironically, four twenty. Yeah, of course <laughs> I noticed that. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> and then a judge with at least yeah. a little sense of humor, yeah, maybe. You, you, you think that's, that's what it was? And that, there's uh-huh. no. There, I, in my was mind, that, it's impossible a, that that's not intentional. You know. Was that a reference even in '95? For, for I think so. I, my apocryphal understanding of of the of the term or symbol or whatever is that it dates, you know, the sixties even and the grateful dead is largely credited as having oh, no originated that. Yeah. Okay. So, so the city judge finds him $420 mm-hmm. and sentences him to, to 10 days in jail, you know, with the time deferred mm. on the condition that he, that he performs 160 hours of community service Jeez. undergoes the drug counseling and not be cited for controlled substance violations. And, 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 and this is, this is the, the, this could be consequential. Sure. We'll get into this and, and quote, uh, provide law enforcement officials with information or testimony on illegal drug use upon request. Mm-hmm. So the latter condition, you know, makes Nelson a drug informant. Right. And that if known, that could have put a, a target on his back. On top of the very public humiliation of being arrested in a sting for having a weed pipe at school, something even worse happened just a few weeks before his disappearance when Nelson and another student at Park County High School were identified and named by the local paper, the Livingston Enterprise, as drug informants for the local police. With hindsight, it seems indefensible that a newspaper would shame and publicly endanger two teenagers like that. And it was a decision that still has not adequately been explained. You know, that uh, in March 1995, one month after his arrest, they're named as drug informants on the front page of the local newspaper and the Livingston Enterprise. And I'll tell you, I, I... 
uh, this is something I, I I don't understand. I can't mm-hmm. explain. It's unfathomable. It's unconscionable. The reason, um, and and who ordered it, who allowed it, and for what benefit has never been adequately explained. Now, this is interesting to me because the publisher of the Livingston Enterprise at the time has repeatedly denied requests to comment, and I've asked over and over on the phone, via email. This is funny. I had one of uh, one of his reporters was talking to the the Enterprise recently about Sikkim on maybe you know some some of these stories and some follow up information, and and I, I send the email. I said, "Well, go ask, go know, ask the go publisher. ask the boss. You know, yeah. what, what, what um is that common? You know yeah, I mean? is he? I mean, is he pleased? I mean, did he did he order that? Did he do it on his own? Did the judge call him and say, hey? Put this kid's name right, in the newspaper. Right, because there's a, a level of sort of dual complicity there because, you know, both the publisher published those names but was given, the, you know, the they were given those names by presumably right. someone in the law enforcement yeah, area. I, I mean, the newspaper didn't just pull his name out of a perfect blue sky and right. put him in there as a drug informant. And, I, and I'm convinced that that didn't happen without, without, uh, without a reason. Um, especially when you consider the fact that, you know, that, Two names are put in there. The the one name, the fur, the other, the other person names has a family has a family who have the means to leave. And they do, yeah. They get out They're of town. Out. Nelson had nowhere to go. You know, I mean, there have been all kinds of allegations, and, and, and some of them have been made public over the years about the breadth and the depth and the scope of, of, of drug running operations throughout the whole Livingston area. And, and, it, and there have been allegations that have been made, not just privately, but publicly over the years, as far as the, you know, who might have been involved and who might have consented and who might have looked the other way. So, we get into the drug angle, you know, we're, we're going down a, uh, a path here that, um, I mean, it's, it's valid and, and sure as hell worth looking at. We don't know for sure what level of involvement in any kind of drug dealing operation Nelson might have had. It seems pretty likely that he was at least growing and probably selling some weed amongst his friends and classmates. But any involvement in a bigger drug dealing organization, and who may have also been involved in such an organization, has, to this point, only ever been insinuated. But what we do know is that all of this was happening right out in the public eye in a small town just weeks before Nelson went missing. And it's easy to imagine how Nelson would have felt about life in his hometown on the night of March 25th. 1995, the last night he was seen alive. We have, um, you know, a, a, a probable, if not most likely, date. And mm-hmm. it looks like we've got Wednesday, March 29th, 1995. It's a Wednesday night. It's rather bland. Um, you know, Nelson and his buddies don't have a lot of money. I think they'd run out of pot um you know they were just taking turns shooting at empty beer cans at the town dump 
with a 22 pistol, which sounds that like... Sounds like so many nights of mine <laughs> as a high schooler in Montana, let me tell you. Yeah, I mean, it sounds, I mean, it sounds like a... Uh, a, cross, a uh, uh, not something that's not unaccustomed to to many kids his age. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nelson drops off a couple of uh, buddies. He's driving his own vehicle, um, and and he invites one friend um, to come over to his mom's house east of Livingston. Then he drops off um, a fourth kidney. He heads home. Um, you know, according to what. One of the, you know, what the friends can remember is essentially Nelson says, hey, you know, I'll, I'll pick you up tomorrow for school. I'll see you in the morning um, for jail. I guess those were the exact right, words. And that's right. how they referred to school to give you some indicator about, you know, Nelson's you know, attitude toward. I mean, especially after they'd all been handcuffed and marched into in classrooms for interrogation. It was, it was an extension yeah. of the Park County Jail. Yeah. The Park County authorities could interrogate you in a closed classroom without your parents present you know, it was a de facto penitentiary I, sure. I mean so um not a, not a comment that seems too far off the mark but but nelson didn't pick up his friends the next day uh mm-hmm. he didn't show up the following day either uh he had been working um as a dishwasher and bussing tables and he did have plans to work that weekend but no one had had heard from him When Nelson first went AWOL, nobody was immediately too concerned. He wasn't at home, but his car was parked outside of his house. And he had a lot of freedom to roam and was known as something of a survivalist for whom taking off into the woods for a few days was not out of the question. Right. And, 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 you know, considering... You know, who Nelson was, you know, I, I mean, he was a, a bit of a, a wanderer. Sure. You know, and it goes back to something, the word we used earlier and the one I always like to use is, is, uh, is latitude. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if we all need latitude to operate in the world, I mean, I mean, and I try to always emphasize that, um, what's latitude, you know, I mean, space to, to breathe, space to right. think, space to live. I mean. Do we want to, you know, are we going to be smothered or are we going to have latitude? And, and Nelson um, I had that, you know, so latitude means that, you know, he didn't have to report into every every 48 hours and check in and where he was. Or latitude meant that, um, you know, if he wanted to go down to the bridge and just kind of scroll his private thoughts and, and his interior thoughts down into a journal and come back hours later that was fine too mm-hmm. um you know and and and, and ma and our and our latest having a, a tough run too you know i mean she's working hard she's working the graveyard shifts um she's got a couple different jobs you know for her to have been alarmed you know probably you know would have been unusual it doesn't seem like she would have any reason you know to be alarmed but after a few days of being missing nelson's father and aunt started to get a little concerned and filed separate missing persons reports. So, but yes, you know, soon we've got, you know, Aunt, Aunt Peggy's calling, the, his old man Clifford's calling. So we've got, you know, the, the, we have the missing persons reports uh, coming in. And then, you know, the, the Livingston police 
are in drug detection mode, though. I mean, and so mm-hmm. they get the phone calls. They go right to Nelson's house, and they ransack his room, confiscate a closet full of about 10 marijuana plants. So that gives you some insight into, into what Nelson was uh, what was doing as far as the dealing goes. Mm-hmm. Um, during the drug search, you know, it, 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 you know, evidence obviously had to have been compromised. Um, there's a 9 millimeter handgun that Nelson kept in his bedroom that has never been found. Mm. There's um, the doors not locked when they you know when they when they get there, and there's some other other items missing that could or, or may or may not have been connected to to Nelson's disappearance. But the idea is that our okay, this is what we got. We have we go back to the idea of someone um, being you know typecast, pigeonholed, stereotyped as someone who's in trouble, mm-hmm. a troublemaker. Um, and we're going to see this over and over in Livingston where people who have led, quote unquote, you know, marginalized lives are, are, are not treated equitably. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to get into that, too, in our next season as well. And, and I don't mean to do that just to, to salivate the palate, but just <laughs> to give you some insight into the fact that no, Livingston is notoriously lax when it comes to answering for these marginalized lives, mm-hmm. and Nelson is is a marginalized life. First instinct, you know, is okay. Let's get the the plants. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's mm-hmm. ransack the place, and time is lost. Yeah, and and nothing happens. Nelson is uh, essentially gone gone without without a trace. The truck is interesting too, as that will come into play because we know that Nelson had had driven. The vehicle, because we know he dropped the friends off. Mm-hmm. But the next time someone goes to start the vehicle, a family member, it's immobile, it's mm-hmm. incapacitated, can't be moved. Wow. Yeah, it, it had been, it had been, it had been sabotaged. The vehicle had been, had been just damaged, damaged to the point. So if we don't, again, with the time frame being a little hazy, we do know that he dropped his friends off. Mm-hmm. Um, so, was he pulled off uh, out of the house, or what drew him out of the house? We know he didn't drive. Yeah, I mean, we know that he couldn't have um, couldn't have driven the vehicle that had been essentially you know, had been you know, dismantled. Nelson was missing for more than a month, and during that time, his father Clifford embarked on a campaign to try and find him. Searching the area near where he lived, speaking to the press, and interrogating his friends. It seems from press reports that Clifford's initial suspicions were that Nelson had taken his own life or that he was fleeing the recent legal trouble he'd gotten into and was hiding out somewhere. Then we find, and then Nelson shows up. And it's uh, it's uh, May fourth, nineteen ninety five. So it's been about a month. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Four fishermen discover Nelson's body in the Yellowstone. It's near a, a little area called the Ninth Street Island Channel. Um, his body is uh, was face down uh, in in a on a on a sandbar. Um, mm. So the fishermen, they're all kind of local residents. They they notify the police without disturbing the body, and then there's an adjacent landowner who. Also saw the body before the police arrived, and he later used his tractor to help 
police transport it across um, his property. So the question is, you know, what do the media reports say? So we have um, law enforcement at the time the bodies discovered um, say that there was quote no foul play involved, mm-hmm. um, and that's and 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 let's remember that. So, so there's no foul play. Both the Park County Coroner Al Jenkins and the Sheriff Charlie Johnson gave statements to the press that they saw no clear indication of what had killed Nelson. A sheriff's deputy named Pete Adams said on the day that the body was found that no one knows how he died. Coroner Jenkins also said that there were no signs of any induced trauma and that he had likely drowned. At first, you know, we have, yeah, Nelson, quote unquote, he, he seemed to be the victim of, of an apparent drowning. Hmm. So that's what, that's what we get. So is, um, you know, did Nelson, was he despondent? I mean, he certainly had a hard time these last couple of weeks and months. Yeah. yeah. I mean, was he in fear um, of retaliation? Was he fear? Was it a presumptive hit? I mean, you're named as a narc and you're still dealing. He was obviously had, was still, you know, had enough in his room to imply that, that what he was growing was not for his own personal consumption. Right. And, I think there's that at least one quote of a friend of his at least casting an aspersion that he thinks Nelson may have involved in transporting stuff, right. I think is the quote that he right, used. But. Right. So then, you know, and then there's that stuff, then we're dealing with, you know, uh, you know, greater quantities, greater risk, stronger, mm-hmm. you know, harder drugs. Um, you know, perhaps so is not in I mean so it seems like, you know, the police are are, are ready to paint a, a composite here in the composite sketch is one that there's you know no foul play mm-hmm. uh, and nothing suspicious and that doesn't sit well with nelson's family because you know they nelson's family start they start pushing back you know on the hypothesis that nelson had drowned and then a new theory comes forward mm. and that is suicide on may 15th 10 days after Nelson's body was discovered, a note was found, neatly folded and tucked under a rock at a completely different part of the river, with no identifying characteristics, but with a message that suggested some level of suicidal ideation in whoever wrote it. You know, a group of high school students find a note under a rock near the Carter's Bridge fishing access site. This is about five miles south of Livingston. This is upstream, Mm. upstream from where Nelson's body was discovered. So the note reads, and I have the contents of the note. The note reads, you know, dear God, all my life has been a big mistake. I can do no right. I have no one who cares. No matter how hard I try, I am not a crazy person. I'm just damned to living hell. I can't take much more of it. I'm not living in self-pity either. I've tried. Mm. So the note is handed to Ar- to Arleta, and she's incredulous. From first of all, I mean, it was missing for about thirty-six days, and the note showed up on uh, showed up neatly under a rock. Yeah. So let's just go back. I mean, you get a you get uh, a note. 
that shows up under a rock 36 days after. At a fishing at put a in. fishing access Presumably site. someone would have seen it sooner than that, if it had been there sooner than that. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and there were some, there were problems with the note. I mean, there, that the family had kind of picked apart and, and, and dissected. Nelson's friends and family aren't convinced by the note. They're not sure that the handwriting matches up at all, and they're adamant that Nelson wouldn't have wanted to kill himself, even with all the unfolding crises in his life. But their main argument against the note is that it seems very boilerplate and run-of-the-mill, at least as far as potential suicide notes go. Remember, Nelson was a creative kid who loved drawing and even wrote poetry and had an unerring nonconformist streak. The people who knew him best say Nelson wouldn't ever have written a note like that. But when they take their concerns to the authorities in Livingston, they're met with a campaign of indifference and discouragement led by Park County Coroner Albert C. Jenkins. Albert will, will become a, a pivotal role in this investigation, um, good, bad, and, and, and indifferent. Albert, will be, uh, Albert C. Jenkins will be a, a seminal figure in, in, in the next season as well, because Al Jenkins is, is, the, is the keeper of the secrets. Mm-hmm. He knows that there, there's secrets about secrets in a lot of these cases, and, and he is the man who's, 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 uh, who's guarding them. So Al, once, who once publicly expressed his skepticism with the notes location mm-hmm. and its overall quote-unquote neatness, that was right. something that, that Al had said he had problems with it, um, has denied you know, repeated re- re- requests to kind of elaborate on the notes' characteristics. But you know, there's other doubts and, and, and questions like the timeline of the disappearance, um, and we've got the family suspicion you toss that in of a plot to conceal and obscure the truth. Um, family from, from the beginning has, has felt that Livingston authorities were, were more interested in burying the truth than illuminating it. Um, and, and, and they've got, they've, you know, have te- you know, testified and, and signed documents to that, that have supported their allegations and in those signed documents and those affidavits includes information where family members claim that they were threatened by authorities. Some of the, the threats were tacit, they were thinly veiled, some of them were more were more overt and quite blunt. If you're gonna keep looking into this case, you 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 might wanna grab a U-Haul and pack all your stuff. Yeah. You might wanna Get it. You might want to take everybody and get them out of here. So, we also have a, another source of suspicion is the mysterious cremation of Nelson's body. Right. So, right, you know, shortly after its discovery, the body was cremated at the Missoula Crime Lab. Um, Nelson's mother insists that she never ordered the cremation. Uh, and Coroner Jenkins affirmed that Arleta did not order it date it remains unknown I mean, who ordered Nelson's cremation and why it took place so quickly could have been 
revealed, you know, what could have been noted and what could have been seen, you know, what were the implications of, of, of the body's condition. And, and, then, and that's where, where it, it ended. I mean, I, I mean, I, or, I mean, I'm not going to say it ends in, in present tense, but there, there was a stopping point there. There was right. nowhere to go. There was no, no more information to be obtained. Arleta is a, is, a, is a tough woman and a strong woman, but she couldn't fight this fight solo. I mean, you're dealing with, it's like an ant defying an elephant. I mean, you're dealing with like an, something tantamount to an ant disobeying an elephant. Right. You know, and you're told to back off and you're told that there's nowhere to go and you're told that this is where, where it ends. Livingston changed, you know, I mean, you know, Livingston started to evolve, you know, as you call it, it, it progressed, as as we always like to use that sure. word, you know, um, and, and, and what does that look like, what does it mean, is it real, I mean, what's the reality beneath the contrivance, you know, you're right, you know, you what's the essence beneath the appearance, and I mean, even now, I mean, what's, uh, you know, what's beyond the, you know, the bullshit of like, you know, I mean, the, the tapas, you know, and the, you know, the seven and a half dollar, you know, micro brews. Right, I mean, right. And the Pilates uh, studio. The Pilates okay. studios. Yeah. So lay it on me. I mean, you it's, know, uh, you know, it's like we got, we have a skateboard park, which I think is a, is a, is a wonderful thing to have. It's named after the charismatic kid with the mohawk who now would be, would be a grown man, mm-hmm. be a grown adult, you know, in his, in his forties. Um, I think it's a great, great introduction to Nelson's stamp on the town's character. Um, but what, but, but, but what about the case? You know, I mean, where, where does it, where does it stand? You know, and when I met with Jenkins and and, and Brian Green, ostensibly, and I always like to use that word. It's one of my favorite words. Apparently, he is the lead detective, sure. detective on the case. So apparently. Um, that he's interested in the case and and um, he's going to take all new information and uh, and he's going to aggressively hunt down every every new lead. So, Coroner Jenkins says that Nelson's death is an open case, mm. undetermined, undetermined case, which we are still looking for a finale. Mm. So that um, but there's more. So you know, there's more. I mean, it is an it's an open case. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. But we have some problems, you know, and and some we have problems with um, the way the case was handled, the status of the case, how it was how it was classified, and over the last year, I mean, some things have started to change a little bit. Um, Brian's been investigating this case for over a year at this point. He's talked to Nelson's friends and family, any law enforcement officials he could get to talk to him, and Livingston residents, to try and get his own picture of what was going on over those months in 95. 
And what he's found would seem to paint a very different and much darker picture than what Park County law enforcement have so far revealed to the public. More on that after a short break. Hey everyone, we really hope you're enjoying Montana Murders, Notorious and Unsolved, the podcast. But if you're interested in more Montana true crime, you should check out my co-host Brian D'Ambrosio's new book. It's also called Montana Murders, Notorious and Unsolved. And while it is the basis for this show and includes the cases we'll cover, it also gets into so much more than we have time for covering dozens of Montana's most infamous killings. Similar to this episode, Brian unearths some gruesome and little-known facts in almost every case in the book, drawing on official investigation reports and numerous personal interviews with law enforcement officials, witnesses, and survivors. Brian describes each murder like a good detective story. Readers will find riveting details about the murderers, their motives and methods, and their unfortunate victims. You can get a copy directly from Riverbed Publishing right now. That's riverbendpublishing.com to get a copy of Brian's new book. This podcast is also brought to you by a longtime Montana Mint supporter, the Hotel Finland in Uptown Butte. In Montana, Chains are for tires, not for hotels. And the Hotel Finland is a unique, locally owned and operated hotel that offers reasonably priced, luxurious options. The Hotel Finland is located walking distance from most of the best places to eat in town. If you're in town for a conference, visiting family, or to investigate uh, notorious or unsolved murder, the Hotel Finland is the only place for you to stay. Do the right thing and experience all that Butte has to offer. Get your room today at finland.com. That's F-I-N-L-E-N.com. We mentioned at the top of the show that Montana Murders, Notorious and Unsolved, is part of the Montana Mint Podcast Network. The Montana Mint does a ton to help support local journalism and local content creation, including supporting this podcast. If you want to see more content like this, help support the Mint by buying some awesome gear in their store. The Montana Mint store is constantly rolling out new Montana-focused designs. The holidays are right around the corner, and gear from the Montana Mint makes the perfect present. Check them out at montanamint.com. That's montana-mint.com. Welcome back. We're picking up with Brian's own investigation into what happened to Nelson. And if you remember, the police and the coroner said that there was no visible signs of foul play, not even bruising on the body when they found it. But Brian tracked down the fishermen who actually found the body, and they have a very different story. So we had found out that that there was there was dirt and silt and sediment that was clogged in the lungs, which perhaps I mean could indicate that he had been held face down in dirt 
or mud and had sucked in dirt kind of in a desperate effort to breathe. Now, I mean, dirt or silt in, in the lungs by itself might not indicate that he was that he was a victim of a homicide. Maybe that could be explained away. But um, in the course of working on Nelson's story, I learned that the back of his head appeared to had been blown off by a, a gunshot, and that his hands had been bound, and he'd been he'd been bound and shackled. And I asked Al Jenkins, Corner Jenkins, about about that, and, and Al's response was define shackled <laughs> and, I, and, and i said and, and then i then i knew i knew i we were dealing with something that was vastly more complicated vastly mm. more complex so we went a little a little further and started to do another round of interview interviews um and found that one of the, the fishermen noticed that the bindings around his wrists and that his sweatshirt seemed to have been pulled kind of over over his head Mm. So now we, you know, the whole—I mean, the landscape, I mean, the texture in the of of the case, you know, completely changes. Yeah, I mean, so, and then we start to go back and look at no signs of foul play, an apparent drowning, and then you look at it chronologically. The family pushes back against the the theory that he drowned, and then the bogus suicide note shows mm. up. There you have the unexplained cremation. But over the course of the, of the last couple of months, and I found you know, several people who are, know about Nelson and remember Nelson who worked either in the police department or worked in City Hall or worked uh, um, in the fire department. Those are always great sources, EMTs, ambulance drivers who are adamant that Nelson was murdered, who knew it then, knew it dearly then, and, and know it now. And they're, and, and they're grateful and thrilled and supportive of any type of investigation. The obstacle here is Albert C. C. Jenkins. Mm. And over the course of the last couple of months, I've found people who have signed affidavits and signed testimony that claims that, that, that they were told by Al in a threatening way, um, keep your mouth shut about this case or you'll end up like Nelson McNair. Mm. That Al uh, casually tossed around Nelson's name as a, uh, as a, a situational scare tactic. Right, a cautionary yeah, tale. a cautionary tale, a tale, a warning. Right. At a barbecue, um, someone will come up to Al. Hey, uh, Al, you know, I hear that you know there was this piece that just came out and uh, on Nelson McNair after all these years. You know, and what's the story? Uh, you know, keep your mouth shut. You know, do you want to end up like Nelson McNair? So, Al, so we have a coroner here who publicly, now publicly is stating that it's an open case, I can't make a judgment, I don't see the evidence, there's no signs Define of foul shackled. play. Define shackled. 
and then who privately, privately is telling people, do you want to end up like Nelson McNair? Is that the route you want to go down? And and and, and this isn't recent either. These these are this is this is something uh, Nelson's name has been brought up to Al. Um, many, many times over the course of many, many years, statements like this were made multiple times to multiple people. Albert C. Jenkins uh, is so overworked and he's so flustered, you know, and he has such a heavy and hefty caseload that he petitioned Park County to give him a pay raise. Right. So about two months ago, Al goes in front of um, either the county commissioners or whatever number of officials he needs to obtain consent and says, I have all these debts. All of them are open. All of them are un- undetermined. None of them I can find any finality to. I don't know. I just have the folders and, and the information, but I need $14,000, I mean, as, as a pay raise. Mm. And, I'll, and I'll sure as hell figure it out. So that's where we are. <clears throat> we have a coroner who was presi- who was presided over a series of deaths. I mean, this is not just one death. It's not just Nelson McNair. We'll drop names from you know Angela Brown, you know Sheila Jordan, Hallie Ganji, I mean Sean Nichols, among others. Yeah. Among yeah, others, all yeah. around the same time, all around the same lots time, lots of them man. found in the river too. Brianna Wilkins, all of them somehow connected to, to Al Jenkins's paperwork and Al Jenkins's recollections and Al Jenkins's folders. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, there's a word that I always liked. Uh, I even jotted it down. My notebook it fascinates me. It's called apo, apophenia. Mm. Some people can find patterns in all kinds of random events. Um, it's a tendency that humans have to find meaning in, in disconnected information. This is not a case of apophenia. <laughs> this is not that case. Yeah. This is not that. There, there's something. There's something real here. There's something tangible. There's something that's been buried, and there's something very very dark and I think Nelson McNair's um, life and death is is something that I don't think a lot of that that, that some people were ever ever thought they'd have to contend with yeah for sure you you never thought that it was gonna come back right just thought that you know inconclusive enough circumstantial enough that it could be sort of you know, it would just flow, flow down the, flow right. down the river, and it would be gone. Yeah, and, and it would be gone. But you know, I mean, and he's gone, and, and there's one less problem in our in our town, and then we can move on. Right. Fortunately, the, you know, there, there, it doesn't, it, it it's not going to work that way. Mm. You know, fortunately, we um, we have good news. So. Yeah. First of all, I want to say that, that the references to Nelson being bound and tied and, po- and, and possibly shot are based on first-person interviews with two of the people who discovered the body. Um, so that statement was preserved in both audio and written form. Mm-hmm. 
after extensive interviews at Coroner Al Jenkins and the Livingston Police Department for the for um, for that story, you know, I decided to present the peculiar and unresolved inconsistencies enveloping Nelson's death to Park County Attorney Kendra Lassiter in 2020, early 2020. Hmm. Uh, Lassiter sought and prepared a referral to the Department of Criminal Investigation in Helena to request an independent investigation into the death of Nelson McNair. Wow. So we have, importantly, I think, an investigative body that has no connection to established Livingston area law enforcement who's going to be taking a look at things, a fresh look. That was the goal, mm-hmm. and, and that goal has been obtained, and that goal has been met. Um, and I spoke to, to Nelson's mom, and just to know that Nelson has had has had the opportunity and the chance to have the circumstances surrounding his death looked at by an independent mm-hmm. impartial agency is something that 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 is is thrilling to her it's never and it could never be considered anything other than than pain right and and, and agony and, yeah. and a horrible experience but there, there's a there's just a modicum, maybe like a sliver or a smidgen of of of, of relief, you know. Yeah. That says, okay, now we've got two agents coming down um, with with paperwork and folders, and and uh, I know for a fact that they interviewed Mr. Albert C. Jenkins, and, mm-hmm. and God, would I love to to have been the, in that get room that deposition or something. And get, get that, that deposition, yeah. 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 So. So um, they have talked to her later. Last time I spoke to her later, so we're in. Um, it was probably about two, about two months ago, mm-hmm. and um, so as of right now, you know, uh, Nelson's case is you know, is is being looked at. You know, yeah. it's being investigated, uh, and the push has been from the start to say, okay, we can we we have to get out of Livingston. We have to get out of Livingston. Okay, so we get it to Helena. And, and we have two officers and two officials who are not connected to it, who can assess the, the information and, to, and go back and you know, re-interview potential witnesses, re-interview potential suspects. And, that is, and that's, that's marvelous. Yeah. You know, there are you know, implications. I mean, anytime something is left, you know, unlooked, you know, unexplored, and overlooked. I mean, you're sending the wrong message right. to, to your community. I mean, you're sending the um, a message that basically says that you know we we shrug our shoulders, we're indifferent, we don't care. This has no value. This has no meaning. This has no merit. And we, and we've seen that cons- it's it's consistent in Livingston. Yeah, and it's consistently bad. It is a town that is very much failed to grapple with and failed to reconcile with its evil spirits. But other towns and other jurisdictions are going to have to help them do that right now. Right. Right. You know, I just in, in, in talking about it, I can tell that it's been a real, you know, personal journey for you, you know, going back a year or so and, and change now that you've been invested in this. And I'm just kind of, you know, curious to get a little bit of, just your personal reaction to um, 
you know, diving so deep into this thing and, you know, actively sort of generating a, a bit of change in, 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 you know, the circumstances of the case and the, and the way that it's being looked at, how is that the whole journey sort of, you know, been on you personally? You know, it's been a short period of time. Yeah. And I think that, that that's something that I find, you know, I find, you know, mar- you know, marvelous in some ways and extremely grateful. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I can be edgy with impatience and, mm. um, and I don't expect results and try not to get too attached to results while doing this stuff, you know, not going in and saying, okay, well, you know, I have a goal, but I mean, if something doesn't happen and nothing, there's no tip, there's no lead, this doesn't go, um, doesn't generate or muster what I like it for. I mean, we still did it, you know, with, with some level of purity and with a, with a pure heart. So I think mm-hmm. independent of having a new body and a new agency looking at Nelson's case, at least we was able to put his name back in the, into the, the public sure. arena, put sure. it back into a public forum and, and make it known, yes, I was here, I existed, yes, uh, my life was important. And, and, and I think that that, um, that is just a, a wondrous feeling I, I, you know i think the people lived it i mean i i coming along yeah 20 you know, 25 years after something is a whole lot different than than being terrorized by something at the time so the kids were terrorized by the police skateboarders were terrorized by the authorities um, and nelson was was terrorized by something wicked and dark or later is terrorized by the by the memories of of, of of her son and and the fact that what happened to him has never been adequately explained. Yeah. So whatever I'm experience or uh, my participation level is is not nearly as engaged or as intense as the people who who have lived it. Yeah. Um, I only like to come along after the fact and try to nudge things and. and in a different direction or a new direction. You know, I can do that. I'm, I'm grateful. Sure. Yeah. Is there anything concrete other than answers that you would like to see come, you know, come from this process going forward? Oh, that's a good question. In fact, yeah. like it, 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 it was like one thing I wanted to say and you yeah. open the door for a perfect <laughs> segue. So, um, you know, pre pandemic, we, you know, we're scouting locations, uh, you know, like um, to have an event that we lo- you know, loosely are kind of um, titled um, or tentatively titled you know, the, the tr- Truth and Reconciliation in Livingston Commission. The goal behind the potential commission would be to draw all these families of these homicide victims and suspicious deaths and mysterious deaths, draw them all together in one room, in a public forum, in a public setting, with media, with the new Park County uh, attorney, who, who's, who's been, who is, who is, um, seems overwhelmingly generous, and the new Park County sheriff, who also seems amenable and agreeable, mm-hmm. um, and Albert C. Jenkins. Right. I would like to have a crack. I think the public should have a crack at Albert C. Jenkins. He's a public figure. He's, um, he's 
paid paid for by the salaries of, of the populace. I mean, yeah. he's paid for he's an, you know, by I, us. I know at least in Helena, coroner uh, is an elected official. Right. Right. And uh, so my vision is that we we have that we have that that, that event. Mm-hmm. We were talking about it. You know, we you may you know we had some dates set. You know, and and some potential locations. That's right, March or April. Um, you know, we got swept away in, in, in something far greater than that. Right, as we all have um, been. But as that, you know, when it goes away, and it will, we'll have, you know, what we knew in 2019, and no doubt about it, uh, as we start to transition, and we will, back to some normality and back to, the, to, to um, what we were doing pre-pandemic. Uh, that's a discussion I, I would like to ignite again. That's a yeah. discussion that I would like to to see fostered. That's a debate. I mean, it's going to be a spirited conversation and a spirited debate. And uh, Al's got some explaining to do. Yeah. I mean, and that's just uh, that's just how it is. And I, I'm looking forward to hearing that explanation. I'm looking right. forward to 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 sifting through that information. I'm looking forward to to the rejoinder and to the retort and to the, to have a conversation about these cases. And I I think it's going to be, it's going to be overwhelming and I think it's going to be therapeutic and I think, um, it will help put Livingston on, on a, a brighter path as far as coming to, to grips, um, with these, uh, with these horrible occurrences. The more Brian and I have looked into Nelson's death and other things going on in Livingston around that time, the more we found that what happened to Nelson was not an isolated incident. Amy Johnson, Sheila Jordan, Hallie Ganges, and others were all young, marginalized people in Livingston who died or were killed in the years around Nelson's death and whose deaths also remain unsolved. We're planning on returning soon with a second season of the podcast that will take a longer investigative look at all these cases and the dark secrets of Livingston. So if you've enjoyed this first season, make sure to tell your friends about the show and subscribe and leave us a review. If you want to learn more about true crime stories from Montana's history without waiting for season two, you can also buy Brian's book. It's also called Montana Murders notorious and unsolved and you can get it from riverbend publishing thanks so much for listening and keep an eye out for season two montana murders notorious and unsolved is a production of the montana mint podcast network it is produced by myself and brian d'ambrosio along with rory murphy at the mint i do all the audio producing and editing on the show and our cover art was designed by sarah over at the mint Music in this episode is from Silent Partner, Everett Almond, and Jesse Gallagher.